0: Before we have a time of fellowship, I want to uh, give you a bit of a lead-in story, a bit of a lead-in anecdote to our message this morning. Yusuf the Terrible Turk was the world, well, the European wrestling champion in the late 1800s. He was a huge man, 300 pounds, and apparently uh, he was incredibly muscle-bound. He went for four years being undefeated as the European wrestling champion, a man-mountain. But after four years of finding no one that could beat Yusuf, the terrible Turk, he decided he wanted to take on the rest of the world. And he decided that it was time to take on the American champion. So he, he decided that he would cross the, the Atlantic and, and take on uh, their uh, American champion. And he was an interesting kind of a, a fellow. Because rather than being a man mountain, uh, this particular American champion known as Strangler Lewis, was a man only about my size, in fact, not much bigger than me, uh, barely only a couple of hundred pounds, very small man for the heavyweight division. But he had an incredible technique, an incredible wrestling technique, whereby he would basically get his opponent in a headlock and, and choke them out. So although he was only a small man compared to Yusuf the Terrible Turk, the story was that he was confident that, as he had done so many times before, he would be able to defeat the much larger, stronger man. Yusuf the Terrible Turk came across the Atlantic in 1898 to take on the American champion Strangler Lewis. The problem for Strangler Lewis that day was that Yusuf did not have a neck. <laughs> his shoulders simply went straight up into his head. Such was the amount of muscle that he had very little in between, and as such Strangler Lewis was not able to implement his technique and Yusuf the Terrible pinned him and became the champion, the world champion. The prize money for that match was 5,000 American dollars in 1898, can you imagine that? An incredible amount of money. Yusuf the Terrible Turk demanded his prize money in gold. He took his new champion belt, put it on for the boat ride back across the Atlantic, and stuffed within the belt his $5,000 worth of gold. During the trip back across the Atlantic, a storm came up, and I think you can begin to imagine where this is going. A storm came up, and unlike what you might be thinking, the ship, in fact, didn't sink, but he was required to get into a lifeboat. Unfortunately, Yusuf the Terrible, with his championship belt with $5,000 worth of gold around his waist, slipped and didn't make his way into the lifeboat but went into the Atlantic Ocean and with all the gold around his waist sank to the bottom of the sea, never to be seen again. His wealth and his riches actually became this great man, this great champion's undoing. That is our story today about another rich fool that Jesus tells us about, one of his little mini parables about a rich fool that stored up for himself Incredible riches, but wasn't rich towards God. Be thinking when we got our current TV, when we got our first flat-screen TV, we held off getting those big, the old ones that were the big, deep ones. You used to have put in a big TV cabinet. We held on to ours for years and years and years. We didn't really need a new TV, but eventually the big old clunker died. So uh, the Chapman family needed a new TV, didn't we? Now you don't really need a new TV, do you? We did actually have a family at our church at the time uh, that did not have a TV. They raised four children without a TV. Pretty, yeah, why not? Absolutely. They were very brave. Yeah, good work. Yeah. It wasn't something that I felt I could do. <laughs> I'm a little bit peaky, am I, Way. Uh, we needed a new TV, and so I went shopping online, and I found our first big plasma flat-screen TV. I found in Seconds World, because I'm a little bit tight, a, uh, one that had been scratched with a, with a pixel that was out. For only, I remember it very clearly from Grey's Online, a factory second for $700, a 55 inch Sony plasma. You beauty, I got it and I put it in our living room which wasn't particularly big as the living room we have now. You'll see this TV still in our living room if you come and visit us down at Maroubra. It's still sitting there. It doesn't look so big in our new big living room but in the living room we were at at the time, it sort of dominated the space. Now, I thought it was fantastic. My young and beautiful wife, who isn't here, she's teaching Sunday school this morning, she was appalled. She was terribly embarrassed by the size of our ostentatious TV screen. I must admit, you turned it on and you were blown away by, uh, by the screen and by the sound. But I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. The bigger, the better, as far as I was concerned. To this day, she's still a little bit embarrassed. But it's come to my attention... Now that um, well, we might need another TV now that we've got a bigger house, and uh, I went looking for TVs again. It became apparent to me that 55 inches is where they start now. 55 inches is positively passe. You can get 60, 70 inch plasma these days to fill your living room. The point, 100 inch. You got 100? Well done. The point of the story is that our expectations keep growing and growing and growing ever more. Our expectations of what we think we're entitled to, of what we think we need, and, and our sense of what we think is rightfully ours keeps on growing and growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I remember it was the same as a young bloke with my car, always wanting something new, always wanting. The next model, always thinking that I deserve better and that I need something more than what I have. So this is confession time here, church, for your minister. There's a What's that? I've got a mini. I know. I've seen the light. I've repented of my ways and I've reversed. I need a mini just to be able to fit into my car park space down here at CMP. A bike would be even better. Well done. I received that correction, brother. Jesus tells a parable about just this sort of gut feeling that wells up in us, it wells up within every single one of us about the need to accumulate ever more stuff, bring more stuff into ourselves. He talks about this rich bloke with his barns. Now, I think that's an Americanism in the translations of the NIV. As Aussie blokes, we all know that they're called sheds, right? Bigger and bigger sheds to put all of his stuff in, so that he could kick back and eat and drink and be merry. Jesus, in fact, talked about this sort of stuff more than just about anything else. He was really on about the kingdom of God. It was his chief message, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, depending which gospel you read. The kingdom of God being God's rule, being his dominion, being his rule in my heart and and, and in the world, not just going to heaven when I die. If you reduce your faith to that, you've got a really truncated view of what God's kingdom looks like, although that is certainly part of it. Jesus was on about the kingdom of God, breaking in into the here and and the now. And when the rubber hits the road in terms of how to apply the kingdom of God in our life, he, he banged on about money and possessions more than anything else. So if Jesus can talk about it, I reckon we can too. I want you to open up your Bibles, if you've got it there, to Luke chapter 12. If you've got a device, you might want to turn to Luke chapter 12. There are Bibles up the back. Uh, You're welcome to read along Luke chapter 12, uh, verses from verse 13. Uh, If you haven't got a Bible, please feel free to come and we'll give you one. We'll give you a Bible for free, Um, but there's uh, stock ones up the back. You can go grab this morning if you haven't got uh, a device that you can look it up this morning. Luke uh, chapter 12, verses 13 through to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between yourself? Then he said to him, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Who then will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, capture our minds, capture our hearts in this moment. Amen. Our story today begins with actually a dispute about a will. Two brothers squabbling over a will. It's a common story. Families fighting over a will. I've heard it said where there's a will, there's a war. There's a relative, whether there's a will, there's a relative, absolutely. So I love, one of the things I love about the biblical and scriptural themes, and indeed the parables, is their timelessness, right? They're still relevant still today. Um, Now, while the text brings it up, I think I probably have earned enough brownie points, I I hope I've earned your respect over the last year and a half, Church in the Marketplace, that can I just talk about wills for a moment? Can I ask you, how is your will? And I don't mean that in the sense of a public service announcement. Make sure you have your affairs in order. I mean, does your will reflect your faith? Does your will reflect your desire to see God's kingdom come to earth? After a while, if you've been in ministry for long enough, uh, you have the great privilege of journeying with families as they say farewell to, to their parents. And it becomes apparent that these adult children have absolutely no intention of blessing anyone other than themselves with mum and dad's estate. And I think that's a heartbreaking missed opportunity for many beautiful Christians who just didn't think to remember the church in their will. Let me tell you a story about this church in these recent weeks and months about the benefits of just remembering the church in your will. I realise we all have families who could be blessed, who could use the the money that that is in your estate one day when you depart this mortal coil. But just this year, this church had a massive water incident. We're talking six figures worth of of damage to this building. It was questionable at one point whether or not we'd even even able to still be worshipping here on a Sunday. The rooms are only now just getting back online. It's been months of of lost revenue, it's been an expensive episode for your church for this for our church. And I remember when I arrived, um, they show you the books of the church to make sure that they can pay you the stipend. And I remember seeing on the church in the marketplace accounts there was an account called the Lake Trevelyan account. Now, I realized I was new to the eastern suburbs, but I had never heard of a Lake Trevelyan. I was looking it up on Google Maps trying to find Lake Trevelyan, it didn't exist. It was a couple of men who remembered the churches in their will and had left the church a chunk of money that we've been able to use to make repairs to this building decades after their death. Ralph Lake, wasn't it? And Jack Trevelyan? Sylvia? Sylvia Lake and, and Ralph Lake the Lake families and the Trevelyan families have blessed this church decades ago that we were able to now repair this building in a way that, let's be honest, many other churches would not be able to do. I know many other uniting churches, if they were hit with the sort of bill that we have been, they'd really struggle to get it paid. But as a result, this church has been able to pay the bills and to keep on going because of the generosity of these two families from, from decades Can I encourage you just to be thinking about that uh, as we think about being rich towards God? Jesus chooses not to get involved in this particular squabble, but he does use it as a stepping off point to teach about how we should be relating to our possessions. He uses it as a stepping off point. Tell us the story about, well, you know the story, the rich fool. Uh, His ground yielded uh, mighty crops, he didn't have barns and sheds, storehouses big enough. To store them all, so he said to himself, I'll tear them down and build bigger ones in order that this wonderful, this famous line, I'll be able to kick back, be able to eat, drink, and be merry. Of course, we also know how this story ends. God enters the story and says, You fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. Who then is going to get all of the stuff that you've stored up for yourself? And Jesus concludes the little mini parable by saying, uh, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Let's have a quick look at this man. I want to quickly study this fellow. Because there's a couple of little lessons that I want to bear out. First thing I want you to see is that this man has not done anything wrong simply by being wealthy. Have a look at the text. Is there anything you can see there that says this is ill-gotten gain at all? There's not even a hint from Jesus that this man is a crook or or a thief or that this is somehow some part of a shady deal. This man has worked hard for what he has and there doesn't appear to be anything wrong with that in and of itself. There's not even a hint of impropriety here. There's nothing wrong necessarily with having great wealth. It's your relationship to it that Jesus calls into question here. There has always been wealthy people down through the ages who have been part of the church, who have been able to bless the ministry of the church. Jesus himself benefited from uh, women who were able to sow into his ministry. In the early church, in Acts, we see the same thing. And down through the ages, God has provided some people in his church with the resources necessary in order that the word might continue to go forth. We need Christian business people, Christian people willing to earn money in order that they might be able to give it away to sow into the ministry of the church and indeed beyond. So that's the first point. There's no hint here that being wealthy is a problem in and of itself. There's many famous Bible verses that gets, gets misquoted. You might have heard the one that money is the root of all evil. It's not, is it? It is, what is it? It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. It's a a misquote from scripture. You might also hear how it's easier for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a... It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, you're not looking at it in context. If you read on just a couple of verses later, Jesus says, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's not riches itself... That is the issue here in this parable. It's how he relates to his money. This man stored up riches for himself. He was a wealthy man, but he died a spiritual pauper. The fact of the matter is when each of us meet our maker, when each of us, when our day comes and these flesh and blood bodies that we inhabit for a period come to an end and we are called to account, the fact of the matter is we will all be worth exactly the same amount, precisely zero. Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Elon Musk, they're going to be worth just as much as you or I when their day comes, and that will be precisely zero. What I do want to do is, is ask you to have a look at verses 19, 17 to 19. I'm going to read them again because I'm wanting to identify what I think is this man's core issue, the core problem that this man faces, verses 17 to through uh, to nineteen, I'm going to read them again. And what I want you to be looking out for is all the references to himself, the me's, the myself, and the I. Have a listen to this. What he thought to himself: What should I do? I have no place to store my crops. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And there. I will store all of my grain and my goods, and I will say to myself, you have laid ample laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. In this little brief internal dialogue, this man mentions himself ten times in a passage that only lasts about 60 words. Ten references to this unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. There's no reference to anyone else. There's no sense of generosity towards family or friends and certainly not towards God. It's all about himself. The other delusion that I think this man is suffering from is that he actually thinks that this money is all really his and it all came from his hard work. Now bearing in mind that there's no hint of impropriety, here, he's a farmer that's obviously worked hard and is skilled and is gifted where? Go back and have a look. Where did his wealth ultimately come from? It was his crops, the ground. His land yielded an abundant harvest. This was ultimately from God. God is the source of his wealth. God has given you the gifts of entrepreneurialism, if that's you. God has given you the gift to excel in your particular field, in your profession, and earn dollars that not many other people do, if that's you. These are God-given gifts. Ultimately, God is the source of all that we have. We need to be humble enough to acknowledge that. Yes, he wants you to partner with him in generating wealth. As we've already asserted, wealth itself is not the problem here. It is this fellow's relationship with it, much like Yusuf the Terrible Turk. Can I encourage you, to ask yourself, well, how am I relating to my wealth? Can I encourage you to set yourself free from the anxiousness of always worrying about money, always wanting more, always needing more? Can I encourage you to let it go? Can I encourage you to think that everything that you have is ultimately really just on loan from God? He's entrusted it to you for a period to then pass on to somebody else. Can I encourage you to be thinking this week as you do your budget, as you do your taxes? It's, I don't know about you, it's tax time. I've recently just done my taxes and the tax man sent the Chapman family back a chunk of money that I wasn't expecting. We have to ask ourselves, well, what does God want us to do with this, this money? Can I encourage you to be thinking, do I really need this, extra car updated this year? Do I really need that trip to Tuscany again or to the fjords of Sweden or wherever it is that you choose to go? And again, I'm not saying that a new car is inherently a bad thing or that a trip to Tuscany or to the fjords of Scandinavia are bad things. I would certainly one day love to see Tuscany and love to see the fjords of Scandinavia. Not a problem with that at all, but I do think as followers of Jesus... We do need to be asking, well, can I do without this? Could this be better spent, better used elsewhere? There was a famous American psychiatrist named Carl Menninger, and he once asked a very wealthy client of his, he says, what do you do you do with all of your money? And the man replied, well, exasperated, he just said, well, just worry about it, I suppose. And Dr. Menninger asked him, well, well, do you get any trying to press in and trying to challenge you? Said, so do you do you get much joy from or happiness from worrying about your money? And he said, Well, I suppose not. But it's much better than the horror that I feel when I think about giving it away to somebody else. <laughs> can I encourage you to live simply in order that others might simply live? And can I encourage you simply to think about the sto- tell a story himself? the man who told this story in the first place, Jesus himself, who famously said, foxes have their lairs to go home, through the birds of the air have their nests, but I have no place to lay my head. When his time came and he was killed and he was crucified, he paid the price, paid the penalty for you and for I in order that we might go free, that we might live, He was even placed in a borrowed tomb. He had nothing to his name. He was an itinerant rabbi. Yet the riches that he offers are eternal. Amen? He offers us eternal riches. Riches that are really, the only ones really worth investing in. So can I encourage you that when you're shopping for your next big flat screen TV or whatever it is that you're doing... Can I encourage you to be thinking with a heavenly mindset? Can I encourage you to not be investing in short-term gains? Because the things of this world, my 55-inch Sony Plasma now needs replacing. Got another couple of pixels missing from it, doesn't it, Elijah? But we need to be thinking, is this really a worthwhile investment? Will it really go the distance? And I encourage you to be thinking about investing in the eternal, in being generous towards God, generous towards others, uh, in order that you might uh, book your place in God's eternal kingdom, in this life and, and indeed the next. I'll leave you with a final little, little anecdote, another little parable, a modern parable. Not a scriptural parable from Jesus, but there's a modern parable that another pastor has written that I came across that I wanting to to share with you this morning about investing in the things of heaven. There was a woman who wanted peace in the world and peace in her heart and all sorts of other good things, but she was very frustrated. The world seemed to be falling apart. She would read the papers and turn on the news and just get depressed. One day, she decided to go shopping and she went into a, this a store at random She walked in and was surprised to see Jesus behind the counter. She knew it was Jesus because he looked just like the pictures she'd seen on holy cards and devotional pictures. She looked again and she plucked up the courage and asked finally, Excuse me, are you Jesus? I am, he replied. Do you work here? She said, I do. As a matter of fact, I own the store. Wow. What do you sell here, Jesus? He replied, well, just about anything. Anything? Yes, anything you want. What what, what is it that you want, he asked. She said, oh, well, I I don't know. I've developed quite a list down down through the years. And he said, well, feel free to walk up and down the aisles, take your pick and come pick out what you want and, and come back and I'll fix it up for you. Well, she did just, as he said, she walked up and down the aisles. There was peace on earth. No more war, no more hunger or poverty, peace within families, no more drugs, harmony between nations, clean air, clean water, careful, diligent use of the earth's precious resources. She picked all these packets up and put them in a a shopping bag and went back to the counter. Jesus looked at what she placed out on the counter. He, took, he looked through and he said, no problem at all, no problem at all. And he rung them up. But she said, Jesus, can I just ask, what, what exactly are these little, these, little, these little packets? I mean, it says world peace, but I, I'm not sure how this actually w- works. Jesus replied, well, these are seed packets. This is a, a store that sells seeds. She said, what, you mean I don't get the finished product? No, he said, this is a place of of dreams and of prayers. You come and see what it it looks like, and and I'll give you the seeds, but you have to plant them. You go home and you tend them. You nurture them. You help them grow, and then one day, someone else will reap the benefits. Oh, she said, and she left the store without buying anything at all. Can I encourage you this week, to be sowing seeds of all that you want in the world, thinking not only of your own desires, but of being rich towards God and towards his creation. Amen? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come before you and we indeed wish to surrender all of our selfish desires over to you. We confess, as a matter of fact, all those times when we've gone about things, seeking only our own will, seeking only more stuff for ourselves. Father, you know our needs and you provide generously. Help us to know that. Help us to put our trust in you to provide. Help us to set aside worry about money and the things of this world, knowing that you are good, knowing that you are gracious, that you love us and indeed will provide. So help us in this challenge to not simply store up things for ourselves, not be rich towards ourselves, but to be rich towards you, Heavenly Father, to be investing in your kingdom, planting seeds, investing, investing ourselves, investing our resources, investing our time, our talent, and our treasure in making your kingdom a reality here on earth. And all the people said... Um, Amen. Can I invite?